Behold, I am making all things new. All things new. So we are in the middle of the Easter season. I think it's good for us to remember that for the church, Easter is not a single day on the calendar, but a seven-week season of joy and celebration that lasts until and takes us to Pentecost Sunday. I think it's possible that that reminder would help us endure a long season of discomfort like Lent, understanding that we are moving into an equally long season of joy and celebration. So we are in this mode. We have been for weeks. We will be for a couple of more weeks. The mode of celebrating resurrected new life. Two weeks ago, you may remember, we read that story in John 21, which told of Jesus giving Peter a second chance to affirm his love and loyalty to Christ after his famous denial before the crucifixion. And the main point we were hoping to drive home during that time is the fact that our God is a forgiving God. A forgiving God, a God who invites us to change, who is continually inviting us to start afresh, to become new, like the new life that we see bursting forth from the ground all around us during this very wet spring season, new life. And I can't think of a ritual or practice within the Christian faith that captures this reality of new life better than the one we participate in this morning, water baptism. So before we join in this celebratory event today, I'd like us to consider what this is, in addition to a giant wooden box, what this is, it is more than that, by the way, what it is and why we are doing it. So we're considering the sacrament of baptism. The sacrament of baptism. If you're unfamiliar with the term sacrament, it comes from a Latin word that simply means sacred. Sacred or a holy thing. Now, for us as the church, there are two such sacred, holy actions that we participate in as followers of Jesus. Of course, there are many more holy actions that we participate in throughout our lives, but there are at least two that rituals that most of the church throughout its history has sort of set aside or distinguished as sacraments. One of those is the ongoing practice of celebrating around the Lord's table, which we do week after week. The second is water baptism, which occurs once in the life of a believer. It it isn't repeated week after week or even year after year. So Holy Communion, what we also refer to as the Eucharist and water baptism, the sacraments of the church. So what might that word sacrament be pointing to or speaking of, the sacred and holy actions? To consider this, I want to turn our attention to Romans chapter 1. We looked at Romans chapter 1 a little during our Lenten season, but I want to read something Paul says. Paul is talking here about the wrath being poured out against all unrighteousness, and his argument is that this wrath is being poured out because God is eternally opposed to everything that would destroy creation. And in the middle of that chapter, Paul goes on to say this in verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them. 
Because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. In the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So one of the underlying currents of the thought here seems to be that when we perceive truth, and beauty and goodness in the world all around us, we are actually getting a small glimpse of God's being. We are getting a glimpse of God's beauty and God's goodness. In other words, there is, at least for this reason, if not many more, there is meaning in the natural world. It is a good gift, not a, not a chain of bondage to break or to be set free of. And of course, that goodness of creation is probably most evident in our scriptures, at least it's unavoidable, when we consider the incarnation. When God becomes one of us in Jesus Christ, God enters this physical reality, a human body with all of its weaknesses, its odors, its aches and pains. I think it's important to understand that the physical world, including our bodies and the dirt that we walk on, isn't God forsaken. It's not God forsaken. Yes, God is in the process of redeeming the mess that we have turned creation into, but there is still value in matter. We get glimpses of who God is as we see the world around us most evident in the incarnation, but I don't think that value is only communicated in the incarnation. I think it's also quite evident in the sacraments of the church, which Christ instructs his followers to participate in. Central to both communion and water baptism is physical stuff. And what is more, rather ordinary, everyday physical stuff like bread and wine or grape juice and water, created stuff, things that we encounter nearly every day are actually holy and sacred, especially or uniquely in these rites that we participate in. Now, in a way, these sacramental rites of the new covenant, communion and water baptism, mirror some of the sacramental rites of the old covenant people of God, of the people of Israel. In the Old Testament, it was, at least these are two of the most important rites that the people of God would participate in. It was circumcision and Passover. The first one, circumcision, a rite of initiation, or entrance into the believing community. The other one, Passover, was a repeated commemorative ritual. For followers of Jesus now, they are, there are new rituals that Jesus himself instructs us to participate in. Again, one of those is initiatory baptism, and one is repeated, commemorative, the Eucharist or communion. And these are the fundamental parts of what it means to be a Christian in terms of our worship. To worship faithfully as followers of Jesus includes baptism in water and regular participation in communion. 
Austin mentioned a moment ago during our announcements that we have a membership meeting coming up this Saturday, and two of the questions on that membership application involve these sacraments. These are important to us, to join the observable, the visible community, the visible membership, we ask that you pursue water baptism if you haven't been baptized already, and we ask that you regularly participate in communion. These are important to us. A lot of the other rituals and expressions of worship can come and go over the years, and they will. They may change. There is flexibility. In fact, various communities and various traditions do things quite differently. But when it comes to these two sacraments, the church since the beginning has believed that these are non-negotiables in Christian worship. And there's a reason that these fundamental expressions of worship and commitment to Christ are so important for the Christian church. Number one, because of what they are symbolizing, but also for a more mysterious reason of something that is actually happening as we engage in these actions. So what might it mean that these actions with these created elements, that they are sacred? Why are they fundamental to our faithful worship? Of course, sacramental practices are not in any way a badge of honor that we wear in order to flaunt. They are not in some sense the thing that makes our salvation secure apart from any notion of faith or faithfulness. I think that would be a misunderstanding, if not an outright misuse, of the significance of these actions. Rather, first and foremost, these are physical realities that are symbolizing or pointing to spiritual realities that are taking place or that have taken place. We're going to talk about this more in relation to baptism in a moment, but these actions do symbolize with physical stuff something spiritual that is happening. But in addition to the symbolic nature of communion and baptism, we also believe that these are signs of God's grace that is working in our lives. So as we participate in these actions, we believe God is working through visible, tangible, material stuff. God is working in immaterial and invisible ways. These are a means of grace through which God is strengthening us, encouraging us, giving us life, feeding us, building our faith, and meeting us. So when we take communion week after week, we believe that the very real presence of Jesus Christ is with us in that meal. Not that the bread and the cup actually become the literal flesh and blood of our Savior, but I believe Jesus is present with us in that meal in a unique, but in a very real way. Similarly, as we are baptized, we are not only symbolizing what is taking place in a spiritual sense, but we believe God is present in this event in a special way. God is actually doing something in our lives as we, in obedience, enter the waters of baptism. So what might be happening 
in baptism? If it is more than just symbolic in nature, what is happening when we affirm our faith together as a community and we dunk somebody, immerse them in this big box of water? I completely understand that, that to those unfamiliar with the Christian faith that some of these practices will seem incredibly strange. That, that is not lost on me. I don't think it's possible for us to be the church and avoid doing everything that seems strange. Jesus instructs us to do some things that seem weird. In obedience, we follow him, and we do what he instructs us to do. So what is happening? First and foremost, water baptism speaks of, it points to our union with Christ. In these waters, we are united with Christ we identify with him. This becomes our new identity, our baptism identity. We are united with Christ. This is who we are. We are the baptized. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, Paul is speaking of the salvation that God enables. And he says this in verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Most scholars agree that Paul here in Romans chapter 10 is utilizing an early Christian confessional or creed that would have been recited during one's baptism. And so one of the things that we can take away from this confessional is the fact that essential to baptism is a confession of our allegiance to Jesus Christ as Lord. Of course, this is a work that Christ has done to secure our salvation. We trust in the faithfulness of Christ. That is the thing that secures us salvation, and we profess our faith in Christ's faithfulness, not in our ability to do that. But in so doing, in the waters of baptism, we are united with Christ. Biblical scholar Scott McKnight has said this, to be baptized in the name of someone, which is what we do in these waters. We baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. To be baptized in the name of someone is to bring yourself into relation and into union with that person. And it implies being brought under that person's lordship. Paul put it this way in Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. He said, For all those who have been baptized in Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Baptized with Christ, in so doing, you are clothing yourself with Christ. Something occurs in these waters that unites us with Jesus. In the waters of baptism, we are united with Christ. Secondly, as mentioned earlier, this is, at least in part, an initiation of sorts. An initiation, of course, in the most noble sense imaginable, not in some juvenile fraternity sense, but this is the entrance into the believing community. 
the doorway which we officially join the family of God. Paul makes this explicitly clear in that same chapter in Ephesians chapter 3 where he connects the rite of baptism back to the old covenant rite of circumcision, which was the entrance point into the community. Similarly, baptism is our doorway into the family of God. We symbolize, we enact our entrance into the community. So number one, we identify with Jesus. We are united with Christ. We identify with Christ's people. We are brought into the family. And thirdly, baptism signifies or points to new birth and regeneration. I think it's significant that John baptizes Jesus in the Jordan River. I don't think this location is just coincidental. Remember, this is the location where Israel after deliverance from slavery in Egypt, after they receive the law and wander in the wilderness for a generation, this is the place where Israel enters the promised land. And that entrance into the promised land, what was it? It was marking a new day for the people of Israel. This was a fresh beginning, a new birth of sorts. Again, McKnight argues rather persuasively, I think, that this is important. That John and Jesus at the Jordan River, baptizer and baptized, are symbolically rebeginning Israel's life in the same waters that Israel started afresh upon entering into the promised land. Suffice it to say, in the quintessential baptism of Jesus, this is all about new Life, new life, a brand new existence that is about to begin for the human race and for the entire cosmos. And I believe that that important feature of baptism continues to represent something special for us. There is a clear connection between water baptism and regeneration or new birth. Our lives, like Israel standing on the edges of Jordan, like the symbolic baptism of Jesus, our lives in baptism are re-beginning in these waters. We are united with Christ, we are brought into the family, and we are reborn through the waters of baptism. I like how Lutheran theologian Robert Jensen put it. He was talking about the fact that we are canonically commanded. We, we've been instructed in our scriptures to initiate into the church those who mission proclamation has brought to penitence by washing them in the triune name. He goes on to say that to those who have been initiated, baptism promises the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Spirit. Now that seems obvious enough in light of what we have talked about this morning. Jesus has instructed us to be baptized. This is the entry point into the believing community. We are cleansed of our sins. We are offered forgiveness. We put to death the old person, and the new creature comes up out of the water. Jensen goes on to say this, and this is the part I want to focus on. He said, the task of the church at the present moment is to recover the integrity of baptism. The task of believers is always to use their baptism. To use our baptism. What might that mean 
It has to mean something more than just a very selfish, utilitarian approach to these sacraments where we only engage in them because we can get something out of them. But baptism, like communion, is not a magical formula. It's not a special ritual that secures salvation for us apart from any notion of faith. This isn't an act whereby we are attempting to plead with God to accept us. It's not that we're trying to jump through all of the right hoops so that God can eventually love us. That's not it at all. Rather, what we are doing in this water, we are signifying through this act, as the reformer Martin Luther suggested, we are slaying the old person, the old Adam, and the resurrection of the new creature is bursting forth from the water. Luther suggested that that's a lifelong process. It is, in his words, a daily baptism. We are always purging whatever pertains to the old Adam so that whatever belongs to the new creature may come forth. Robert Jensen sums this all up as he connects the process of sanctification, the process of becoming holy or becoming more like Jesus, he connects that to the act of baptism in this way. He said, sanctification is the continual return to baptism. Continual return to baptism from the errors and forgettings, perhaps plain unbelief or crime, into which life after baptism will lead us. Baptism is always there as a fact in my past. I can always, as Luther said, creep back to it and begin anew. Begin anew. This is an important event in the life of faith. This is an important event in each of our lives, an event that we will undoubtedly return to throughout our lives, reminding ourselves of our new identity in Christ. We have been united with Christ. We remind ourselves of our new membership in the family of God. We have been brought into Christ's body, the church, and we have been reborn. And as we return to our baptism, we allow this new identity to ground us, to orient our lives. This new regenerate reality is now the compass that is continually pointing us towards our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So following baptism, whatever place we find ourselves in in the future, whatever crossroads we seem stuck at, whatever crises of faith, whatever doubts and questions, whatever failure and sin or sorrow and pain, we can always look back. Remember this event. Remember our baptism and find strength, find courage, Find motivation to continue this path of faith. This always remains as a fact in our past. We are united with Christ. We have been welcomed into the family of God. We have been reborn through the waters of baptism. Thanks be to God. Amen.